Welcome to the 170th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, our weekly look at Major League Baseball action, and a look back at week one of the NFL season. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his weekend series predictions. In college football, Patrick also went 2-2 two and two with his predictions. And in the NFL, Patrick kicked off with a bang going 4-0 and oh in his NFL predictions, meaning Patrick went 8-4 and four combined, and it brings his overall predictions record to a 461 and 322 mark, a 58.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, uh, nothing was really going well, to be quite honest. Uh, Every MLB series was down to the final game of the series, and there was a point on Sunday where every single team that I had picked in MLB, with the exception of the Mariners, um, were losing that series-deciding game. Uh, The Red Sox ended up taking two of three from the Orioles. That was a loss for me. The Orioles were, well... The Orioles gave up 17 runs, and I assumed I, I assumed I'd be in good shape because I thought the Red Sox had run out of runs, and I wasn't wrong. The Red Sox had ran out. They only scored one the next day, but the Orioles couldn't muster up any runs. So in the end, you get a one to nothing loss for the Orioles at home in a pretty important game for a team that's still trying to compete in a playoff race, and that obviously didn't help whatsoever. Uh, then you have the Rays, who lost that series to the Yankees. It was really, really hard to get a feel for the series because the Rays had done a great job playing all the divisional opponents, really not just this year, but the past couple of years, um, while the Yankees have been kind of flustering re- recently. But they, uh, the Yankees pulled it together. I mean, especially offensively. I think they scored 10 runs in both of the final two games of the series. Uh, so that was a positive for them. And then the Dodgers were actually losing 2 to nothing, and I made a comment to you and said, uh-oh, I'm about to go 1-3 in the MLB at best. And then all of a sudden, the Dodgers just... I mean, maybe someone heard me. I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not very close to San Diego, but someone must have heard me because the Dodgers scored 11 unanswered runs, which is something you see, you know, in football games, maybe a big game-swinging run in a basketball game, but 11 runs in a row in a baseball game is really, really hard to come by. Uh, but the Dodgers ran Joe Musgrove out, uh, ran him off the mound, and ch- well, I should say chased him off the mound, and then... Uh, kept scoring on the bullpen to continue a strong performance in their series-clinching victory. Also, playoff-clinching victory, interestingly enough. We'll talk about that more later. And then there was this Mariners and Braves game. I saved this series for last for a reason. It was the only series that I felt secure about. But all of a sudden, the Mariners, they were up one to nothing all the way through the third inning. Uh, Atlanta scored one run in the top of the fourth, but Seattle took a 4-1 lead in the bottom of the fourth, then added on insurance runs in the fifth and the sixth, and it really just had the feeling of one of those games where you just go, oh, okay, they're managing this easily. It's one of those games where you kind of coast with the end of the bullpen and just hope that your back-end guys don't let guys on base, and even if they do, you bring someone else in for a high-leverage situation, and then all of a sudden, they just blew the game. I mean, they were up 6-1 to in the six, at, by the end of the sixth inning. They were up 6-1 to all the way until the top of the eighth. The Braves got one run. Uh, on a solo home run by Michael Harris to make it 6-2. to two. And then Michael Harris came back up in the ninth and hit another home run to make the game 6-5. to five. But you thought, okay, two outs, the Mariners are changing pitchers. It should be fine. They literally only need to get one out in the end of the game. But all of a sudden, Eddie Rosario on a 1-2 pitch that was really spotted about where the where the catcher wanted it 
lines a single in right field, and then eventually Robbie Grossman follows that up with a ho- with a two run home run to take the lead, and then I turned the game off and was like, well, lost that one because I'm gonna have to go. Uh, I had other stuff to do, but I thought I lost that prediction, and I might have even gone. A win four maybe, but I think the Dodgers had already the Dodgers had actually already won by then, so I knew I was going one and three at worst. Um, but then the Mariners, all of a sudden, they weren't done with their offense. Julio Rodriguez hit a game tying home run, and then Eugenio Suarez hit a walk off home run uh, to win the game eight to seven to end that series. That was a crazy end to that series that kept me at an even five hundred in baseball this week. In college football, we will talk about these games more later, but. Tennessee beat Pitt 34-27 in overtime. Texas Tech beat Houston 33-30 in overtime. That was a loss for me. Tennessee was a win for me. Then BYU beat Baylor 26-20 in double overtime to end the night, which was crazy. I think Texas Tech and Houston were actually in double overtime, too. I My bad, misspoke on that. Um, but then uh, the only other game I predicted, Kentucky beat Florida on the road. A very big surprise after Florida was able to hold down the fort against a Utah team that was viewed as way superior to Kentucky going into the season, although... They both are strong teams, honestly, in my opinion, both Kentucky and Utah, and also Florida at this point, but maybe not as good, obviously, with Florida uh, after we've seen that loss. Um, but then in the NFL, yeah, I mean, it was a smooth picking week. I knew the Bills would want to send a message. Super Bowl favorites against the Super Bowl defending champions. I feel like when that matchup happens, normally that team is uh, is able to make a statement, and they're the ones who really need to make the statement because the defending champs have nothing to prove. They already won. Uh, they don't they don't have anything left, right? So uh, the Bills were definitely there to make that statement, and that statement was loud. Uh, then I had the Chiefs over the Cardinals. They won that game pretty easily. The Chargers beating the Raiders, despite the Chargers maybe having a home field disadvantage uh, with all the Raiders fans that might or might not live in L.A., <laughs> um, and the, just the traveling fans, too. And then the Buccaneers beat the Cowboys 19-3 on the road. A pretty bad performance on offense by the Dallas, uh, but... We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, overall a pretty good week for me, especially starting off the NFL season without having much to go off of other than some off-season moves. All right, well that wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions for this week. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Let's now move to a quick look back at Week 2 action in NCAA football. And Patrick, what were the best games of Week 2? Well, there were four games that went to overtime and two games that, well, and one game that ended with Back-and-forth field goals at the end, so they're all in that category, and uh, I could have thrown even some more in here, but uh, I threw them in other categories for various reasons. Uh, but Tennessee beat Pitt 34-27 to in overtime on the road. I mentioned this in my weekend predictions. Uh, 24th-ranked Tennessee, I should say, and 17th-ranked Pittsburgh, although Tennessee entered as 6.5-point favorites, which is very rare for a, uh, well for a six and a half point favorite to be ranked seven points to be ranked seven rankings lower and also be on the road. It's a little odd, but uh, it goes to show you that preseason rankings mean nothing. It also goes to show you that, well, Pitt didn't really look good against West Virginia. And I made that point last week and well, let's continue. They did not look very good. I moved them down in my rankings for kind of their failure to really put away West Virginia, really getting lucky, honestly, on that, on the interception off of a tip was the way that they, Got their pick six to win the game. So, I mean, we talked about that last week, so I won't go into too much detail about it. But I picked Tennessee for that reason. I thought Tennessee more solid in terms of talent, and Vegas agreed with me. They had them as touchdown favorites. Then you have Eastern Kentucky, who beat Bowling Green 59-57 to in seven overtimes. 
I don't even know where you could have watched this game. Probably ESPN Plus or something. But seven overtimes. Very rare. Last time I saw it, Illinois and Penn State, which is almost the same caliber of teams in this matchup. Well, not really. I mean, that would be that's an insult to Penn State. That's a really big insult to Penn State. Eastern Kentucky might be on the level of Illinois, though. That might be true. Uh, Bowling Green, maybe not. Um, then you have Alabama. They beat Texas, but only by one. I mean, look, I hate to say it, but I've had Texas unranked. They're going to move up from unranked to probably maybe even in the top 20 in my rankings, despite losing, just because I, I, I don't even think losing by three touchdowns. I mean, I expected them to lose by three touchdowns. That was just obviously, you can't set the betting the betting line at a point where uh, the team can, you know, the, the, where a team actually does have some chance of winning because Texas does have a lot of talent on their team. And as you saw, they definitely had a chance of winning this game. You can't set the lines like that for a home game. It, it's just... You can't set it at 21, or you can't set it any higher than 21, to be quite honest. So I feel like that was, I feel like a lot of bettors were liking that over, and then all of a sudden, Texas played a really, really close game. Alabama did not play a clean game whatsoever, which is why I'm not going to say that Texas was really, really good, Um, but they held Alabama to field goals. They had some good red zone defense. They had some good overall defense, and you know, at the end of the game, even though there were penalties, a lot of them called on Alabama, there were also some missed calls that really benefited Alabama as opposed to Texas, and that went both ways through the whole game. But at the same time, this game really was a few calls away from being, I I mean, frankly, it could have been even a bigger deficit for Texas, and it also could have been Texas winning the game. Uh, but you you had to watch that game. It was a great game and uh, obviously ended on the game-winning field goal by Reichard after Texas got their field goal to go ahead, but they left just a little bit too much time on the clock uh, for Alabama to be able to score. Uh, Will Anderson getting a Heisman moment, as I said, uh, by knocking the uh, the quarterback down, getting a sack on on third down, forcing a very long field goal. I said it was going to be a Heisman moment, but then Texas made the field goal anyway, so he didn't really win the game for Alabama. He actually technically did nothing because field goal still went in, uh, but Bryce Young was good in the fourth quarter, not so good in the other quarters. Then you have a really bad example of how to play quarterback, Baylor. They had to run the ball 50 times because they had no confidence in throwing whatsoever. They just couldn't throw. I mean, there was, and by the way, the kickers in this game, if you want to say the Alabama and Texas kickers were great, I mean, this game was the Steelers and Bengals game before the Steelers and Bengals game happened. Uh, These kickers, BYU put themselves in position with a great drive to win the game and missed the game-winning field goal. And I believe they missed a field goal earlier in the game. Or maybe Baylor did. I don't know. Someone missed a field goal earlier in that game, too. That obviously would have cost them a lot because this game went to overtime. So 20-20 to 20 was that score. Uh, then BYU had Baylor miss their field goal in overtime. And then BYU played conservatively to set up their field goal kicker in the middle of the field after he missed on the left hash in the first overtime because they just needed the field goal to win, and then they missed their field goal. So they also choked away the game, and then obviously it turned into the touchdown, and you have to go for two, so that didn't really, the kickers couldn't factor in there. Uh, and Baylor got too many, got a penalty on fourth and goal, actually, after missing, actually after getting another penalty on third and goal. BYU's crowd was too nervous to make any noise, and after the penalty on third and goal, they just started going crazy, uh, and it clearly affected Baylor. And then eventually, fans kept going crazy by storming the field at the end of the game, uh, but BYU, impressive one at home, barely favored, but at the same time had 60% of their returning and receiving production from last season not playing in this game. So pretty important guys that they weren't playing with. 
Uh, and then you have Texas Tech who beat Houston 33-30 to in double overtime. Pretty much just as crazy of a game. Uh, I believe Texas Tech converted a 4th and 19, I want to say was the yardage on it. It was at least 15. Uh, with the game on the line, they had to score a touchdown, and they needed the 4th and 19 after Houston had scored in the first overtime, and that saved them the game, and then eventually they came back and won. So I really could have gone 3-1, and one and college football would have been a lot happier. Uh, but, yeah, those were, the, those were the crazier games of the week in terms of how close they were, but the week was not just that crazy by close games. There were some uh, very, very astonishing upsets. And let's talk about those astonishing upsets. Well, there were three top 20 teams that went down at home most of them to, well, two of them to non-Power 5 teams. In fact, the Sun Belt looked like the best conference uh, on Saturday, honestly, because the SEC had their troubles with the Big 12. There's no clear second-best team. Well, there's a clear second-best team because Georgia's the best team in the SEC right now. Uh, but there's no clear third-best team when it comes to Kentucky and Florida. You could throw Tennessee in that conversation, to be quite honest. It's not really, it's not really set in stone who that team is this year especially because of the team who lost first this weekend. Appalachian State went on the road, beat Texas A&M number six in the country, 17-14. to 14. Uh, Really, I got nothing to say about any of these games. Just know that when I rambled on about quarterbacks for 40 minutes a week ago, or two weeks ago, I guess at this point, there was a reason why I did that. You really do need a quarterback in college football, and uh, I mean, you really need it for... You really need experience on the road to play good teams, but apparently now you need experience and talent at home to beat terrible teams too, according to A&M's loss. And also, according to Marshall, beating Notre Dame, the number eight team in the country, 26-21 to at Notre Dame, mind you. Uh, but, you know, all, also all these teams could go on the best road wins, but I chose to do that with uh, teams that were supposed to be kind of closer. Um, but look... I don't really know what to say, uh, except for the Sun Belt reigns supreme, and uh, that was even evidenced by the fact that I'm not even going to talk about this game because I've said multiple times that I will never talk about this team again. Although we'll I guess about it is. Southern. Well, it is time to talk about the team again because Nebraska finally did exactly what I said they should have done on episode 97 of the podcast, which is almost a hundred episodes ago at this point. If you want to date time and podcast time instead of years or months. Uh, they fired Scott Frost today, uh, or sorry, yesterday. But at the same time, that was seven, eight games too late, according to me, and probably even more games too late, to be quite honest. They probably had worse years before than that they could have fired him during if they're holding up that high standard that they did when they fired, I think it was Brett Bielema for going eight and four too much. Now all of a sudden you can go through. Bo Pelini. Oh, Bo Pelini, yeah. Now all of a sudden you can go eight and four. now all of a sudden you can be the best three and nine team of all time, but that's fine. You just can't go eight and four. Bo um, probably laughing right now. He should be. Uh, but look, Georgia Southern, another Sun Belt team, went on the road and beat Nebraska. Now not really as much of an upset because we all know Nebraska is just bad. This is not a good team. I would argue that uh, Georgia Southern even had the coaching advantage in that game because I think Clay Helton's probably a better coach than Scott Frost. To be quite honest, uh, don't really care what. Many people, many other people might think that might be wrong. That might be right. I don't know. I'll go ahead and say it because I'm known to not really approve of Scott Frost's coaching job. And I said I would never talk about him again, but he got fired. So now it is time to talk about him again, because now, truthfully, I will never talk about him again because he's not going to be coaching a very relevant team anytime soon. Now, moving on from that game that was actually not even listed here. I just said it because it was the third big Sun Belt upset of the week. Washington State number beat Number 19, Wisconsin, 17-14 on the road. 
Uh, Wisconsin actually was positive in yards differential by, I believe, by, I believe almost 150 in this game. And it was the biggest margin of total offense that they had won in a loss for, I think, 13 years or something like that. Uh, but, you know, yards don't matter. Points do. Story of the Cowboys two years ago where they led in total offense but then missed the playoffs or whatever it was or, or got the four seed and were out in the first round. Maybe that was last year. Maybe that was the year before. Maybe that was both of the years because they kind of do that every year. But, again, it's about scoring points, not gaining yards. Wisconsin gained more yards but didn't score more points. Washington State won the game fair and square. That's how football works. But Wisconsin definitely, definitely had their opportunities and their style of playing turnover-free football was just not the style that they showed on the field on, on Saturday, and that's really what's important. They didn't play their style, and they didn't do well. All right, who are your most impressive teams of the week? Well, uh, there are two teams. One of them definitely more impressive than the other, but I'm going in the SEC. Let's talk about that argument for the third-best team. I think Florida kind of took themselves out of the argument by losing a game in the SEC to another team in that contention. But Arkansas, with a 44-30 to win, over South Carolina, who's they were number 16 in the country. They were higher in our poll. I think we have them in the top 10 and probably going up again after this week. Well, they got to be going ahead of Notre Dame, I can tell you that much, uh, and AM. Uh, but at the same time, look, Arkansas played a good game. South Carolina has a lot of talent. You even had them as a surprise team, but you did say surprising if they like went 6-6 six and six or something with, Seven how, and five. with how hard their schedule is. And this was one of those games that they weren't really supposed to win. Uh, it's what happens when you have a hard schedule in the SEC, although I don't think South Carolina is in the division that normally is challenging, but they have a tough schedule anyway because they kind of have some bad crossover games, and then also they have that annual rivalry with Clemson. But uh, you could see that this team probably with an easier schedule would be at least a 7-5, and 8-4 and four team pretty comfortably. Uh, but at the same time, they might not even make a bowl game with how tough their schedule is. It's too bad for them, but Arkansas, on the other hand, Looked really good, had that balanced offense going, especially doing well running the ball in this game. And uh, I, I didn't really have a place to put them. It's obviously not one of the best games, but they still were impressive enough for me to put them up. They're going to keep mentioning them until they uh, collapse eventually, and I'll probably mention it then too because their, win, their loss would probably have to be against a really good team at this point. And then you have Kentucky, who was making their side of the argument for the third-best team in the SEC by beating Florida 26-16 to on the road. Anthony Richardson, after I hyped him up so much last week after not being so high on him preseason, just absolutely took my expectations, put them right back where they were in week zero and week one. Not very high. Definitely see the talent. He's definitely an NFL guy. But at the same time, his college production just has not been that great. He showed all the flashes. He's shown them plenty of times. But it hasn't really turned out to much turned into much success for Florida on the field. And that's what's important to those fans. Um, so you never know if maybe they switch quarterbacks like they did last year with Emory Jones to Anthony Richardson. You never know if they have somebody else to do that with this year. Uh, but look, Kentucky did a good job. Will Levis did enough to control the game and let, um, Kentucky get that win on the road, even despite some very bad special teams played by Kentucky. Okay. Let's move on to your best road wins. Well, these games, I didn't watch much of them, but I felt like they were worth mentioning because of, uh, the, the, the teams are somewhat important. Uh, Iowa state. Beat Iowa 10-7. Good. Iowa lost. They deserve to lose week one. They still have not scored above seven points in either of the weeks this season. At least I got a touchdown this week. Yeah, but they might be the only team in D1 that doesn't have above seven points in either game. I find it hard to, I find it hard to believe if someone told me there was another team that did that. Uh, I know Hawaii at least scored 10 against Vanderbilt despite them 
what score? Did they, did they score ten against Michigan? I think yeah, they, did, they did actually. So they scored ten twice. So good for them. Uh, but at the same time, look, and New Mexico State, I know, scored more than that in week one. I don't think Iowa has scored more than seven. And by the way, again, first one wasn't even on a touchdown. It was a field goal and two safeties. So so far this season, if you're running the tally of Iowa, I mean, it sounds like a baseball team. They got a two. They got two two-run home runs. One three-run home run, one somehow seven-run home run, but that, that maybe doesn't work that way. No. But look, they suck. This team has no offense. It's actually insane Painful to me. To watch. It, it well, I have at best road wins, but I also said I don't want to talk about it because it's really hard to watch. I actually find myself wanting to turn the TV off of college football when Iowa is on the screen. And they might be the only team in the country that I believe that way. At least some of the bad teams are fun in how they lose and score seven <laughs> points. They throw picks and they do all that. Iowa barely even throws picks. They just kind of they just kind of have an interception and a fumble off until one season, until one team gets the ball on the forty yard line of the other team and goes eight yards and kicks a field goal. So look, Iowa's boring to watch. They're a boring team and they're not go- a good team either. Uh, speaking of not good teams, I said Vanderbilt had a chance to maybe pull off an upset over Wake Forest if Sam Hartman wasn't back. Well. Too bad. Sam Hartman came back. Uh, they didn't stand a chance as soon as he came into the game. And he, well, he started the game. He played very well. Wake Forest won 45-25. to It's actually funny because they're getting no hype this year. I actually think this year's team is better than last year's team. Even though last year's team was 10-2 and and I called them overrated the whole season. This year, maybe just because I feel like they're accurately rated, it feels like this team's not getting enough attention. And then Kansas won their first Big 12 road game It would, in what seemed like forever. But sorry to rub it in, Texas fans, it actually hasn't been that long because it was actually just four Big Ten, four Big 12 games ago that they beat Texas on the road, also in overtime. Also worth mentioning because Kansas beat West Virginia by 13 in overtime, which is rare, to say the least. Yeah, that's a strange outcome. Actually, I was trying to figure out how Bowling Green got to its total in their game with the must go for two points. Um, I didn't analyze two point conversions one. back and forth. It, yeah, it, it, there was must have been a couple misses because seven overtimes. Anyway, the, well, the so, you know, by the time it gets to the third overtime, though, it's just two point conversions That's back and saying. forth. Think, so there were misses. I think and there was a touchdown. Misses and makes and misses and makes. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so but but strange, straight. There must have been a defensive score here, right? But congratulations to, to Kansas. Um, let's move on to some other quick takes you have from Week Two NCAA football action. Well, I'll start with a little piggyback off that West Virginia game. If you thought Pitt was good. Think about the fact that West Virginia almost beat Pitt on the road and then went ahead and lost at home to Kansas. Uh, so maybe Pitt isn't very good. I'll uh, I'll leave it at that, although Kedon Slovis did get injured in that game, so I think that's really what slowed down Pitt's offense against Tennessee. Um, and maybe they might not have lost that game if he was still playing, but it's, it's hard to say. Uh, but then you have J.J. McCarthy, a former five-star recruit who will be taking over the starting job at Michigan, although it was technically only announced for the game against UConn, but I think if you look at the performances by both the quarterbacks, it's pretty obvious that J.J. McCarthy will probably be the starter going forward. Then you have Oklahoma State, who really is barely securing wins over teams that uh, they really shouldn't be close with, and they just don't look like a top-10 team of the same caliber as many of the other top-10 teams, but I'm going to be quite honest, you would have put Florida in there for having two ranked wins in the first two weeks. They can't go in there because they lost one of those games. Notre Dame found a way to lose to Marshall, and A&M lost in home day to Appalachian State. So there really aren't many teams that you can slide in there. I would argue you just have to depend on teams who have good wins. That probably puts a team like Arkansas up there. A team like BYU maybe even has the case. It's really, really hard to argue who's in the top 10 right now because uh, the ones that are on the fringe either haven't played anybody 
really haven't shown up with who they have played. Yep. Well, that uh, wraps up our look at college football for this week. Let's move on to our weekly in-depth review of Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. The Yankees have maintained their lead over the Rays. They are up five and a half games, 85 and 56. I will say we're going to kind of speed through the MLB here because it's the beginning of the football season, right? It's, it's more important to talk about it. And also, you're getting to the point where teams are about to clinch spots and you think you have clarity on the postseason, but at the same time, there's not that much clarity because there's still enough games left that teams can still make runs. So you're at that weird part of the season where you feel like you can start talking about scenarios, but you don't want to jinx stuff. I won't say the Yankees just clinched the division without mathematically clinching it just because they won those two games against the Rays over the weekend. That's not that's not true. Uh, so it's it's a hard point of the season to talk about it because it's not even just the races and we all know who what the close races are at this point because they've been close the whole season except for this one wasn't really much of a race until a few weeks ago but now all of a sudden it is and then now again it's not feeling like much of a race anymore so it's going back and forth uh but the Yankees as I said leading the Rays by five and a half games the Yankees 85 and 56 uh they're barely behind the Astros who are 90 and 50 for the best record in the AL the Rays are 78 and 60 they are five and a half games back as I mentioned the Blue Jays are 78 and 61, just a half game back of the race. Could be important because currently, if you look at the wild card, actually all the teams that are in it are currently within a half a game of each other. And that will be important because one of them will be playing the worst division leader. So currently it'd be Toronto playing Cleveland. Uh, and then it would be the Rays playing Seattle in Tampa Bay for three games, for a three game series, all at home in that new playoff format. I would argue the sixth spot is probably the best spot to be in in the AL because I would rather play the Guardians than play, well, if I'm the Rays, I don't want to play the Mariners. And if I'm the Mariners, I don't want to play the Rays. And frankly, the Mariners just played the Guardians seven times in a week and they beat them five times. So I really don't think they're worried too much about playing them. Um, I just just don't think they're worried, (laughs) but... Then again, you never know. I don't know what the tiebreaker situation is between the Guardians and the Blue Jays. I think the Guardians did beat the Blue Jays when they were in that slump of theirs uh, in Toronto. So it's a back and forth thing. You never really know. You never know what was going on with the Guardians. They had some pitching injuries at the time. Uh, but it's a hard conversation, but at the same time, you're just going to see how it plays out. But uh, in the rest of the AL East, you have Baltimore 11 and a half back at 73 and 67, and the Red Sox at 69 and 72, 16 games back. Okay, let's move over to the Central where you've talked about the Guardians leading. Yeah, I mean, the one big news in this, big thing of news in this division is that the White Sox and the Twins are two and a half and four and a half games back in the division, despite being seven and nine games back in the wild card. So I'd think they might get eliminated from wild card contention maybe a week before they're eliminated from divisional contention. And one of these teams might be out of the wild card, miss the wild card by five games, and maybe even on the final day of the season take over the division lead and go from six games out of the wild card to in the playoffs in a day. It's possible. I'm not saying it will happen, but it is possible. Uh, the White Sox at 72 and 69, they've been playing better recently. They're seven and three in their last 10. Uh, and despite a Guardians three game win streak, they haven't built much separation there. So White Sox are back within two and a half games of that lead. The Twins, after their series loss, losing three in a row to the Guardians, have basically eliminated themselves. They're under 500 at 69 and 70. Four and a half games back. It's crazy that being under 500 at this point in the season, they still even have a chance of winning the division because if you look at some other divisions, I mean, the Diamondbacks are 66 and 73. They'd only be three games back of the Twins in the, in a division. 
but they are 30 games back of the Dodgers. So it really shows that the Guardians are not that strong. They're definitely deserving of being in the playoffs, but probably not as a divisional winner. Um, and, well, frankly, if you look at the records, looks like the Orioles should be in ahead of the Guardians, honestly, in terms of overall records, because they would be higher than that. Or actually, I guess they're like a game behind, but still, it, it's a pretty close battle between those two. Uh, and then you have the Royals at 57 and 84, 17 and a half games back. And finally, one of the first teams eliminated from postseason contention, the Detroit Tigers. It's now official. I made a bad prediction before the season saying that they were a dark horse playoff team. It's now officially over while there have only been three other teams to be eliminated. Oof. All right, let's move to the AL West. Well, here's another team who got eliminated. The Oakland A's. They're 51-90. and 90. They're 39 and a half games back. I will never talk about this team for the rest of the season. I'm going to skip over the bottom of the division because, well, these teams are eliminated, and I probably won't be talking about the Tigers for the rest of the season. But, unless maybe they play the Guardians a lot or something that can maybe swing that division. But, the Astros, 90-50. and 50, Best record in the AL. Best record in the AL West. They are 11 games ahead of the Seattle Mariners, who are 79-61. and 61. Then you have the Angels, who are 61-79, and 79, the opposite of the Mariners' record, despite those two supposed to be pretty close to each other in terms of standings. Mike Trout's injury kind of ruined that, but at the same time, the Angels just have not been good enough. I mean, it, Trout would not have helped this team to the playoffs still. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Otani's playing at an all-world level, only rivaled by Judge, and at the same time, still not anywhere close to the playoffs. And even though Trout came back and homered in six straight games, they're still 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Uh, so 29 games back for the Angels and 29 and a half games back for the Rangers, who are 60 and 79 and not doing very well since they fired their manager. Okay, what does the AL wildcard race look like? The Rays and the Mariners are at 78 and 60 and 79 and 61. They are tied for the first wildcard spot, although the Rays would be the home team right now if they were to play that series. Uh, then you have the Mariners, obviously, as I said, in second. Behind them are the Toronto Blue Jays, a half game back of both of those teams. Same amount of losses as the Mariners, same amount of wins as the Rays. Then you have the Orioles at five and a half games back, 73 and 67. That is their only route to the playoffs. Although the Blue Jays taking three or four earlier this week kind of put the final nail in the coffin in terms of Baltimore's playoff hopes. And then you have the White Sox and the Twins, as I mentioned, seven and nine games back in the wild card, closer to the divisional title than the wild card. Okay, let's move over to the National League, also starting in the East. The Mets and the Braves are engaged in a very close race, but after the Mariners won their game over the weekend, the M's, the Mets, are thanking the M's, the Mariners, because the Mets lost their divisional lead, and all of a sudden, now they're one and a half games up again. They're 89-52. and 52. The Braves are 87-53 and 53 after the Mets won two over the weekend uh, in a row, I think over the Marlins, I believe they were playing, and then the Braves, I, I said, lost those two games to the Mariners. Tongue twister there if you try to say the opponents too fast. Despite the Braves being 8-10 and 10 in their, sorry, 8-2 and two in their last 10 Two losses in the last two, so that will end up giving the Mets the division lead. Then you have the Phillies, 78-62. and 62. They're 10 and a half games back. Still important that they are in the wildcard conversation, very much so. I think, actually, now in control of the second wildcard spot. Yes, they are in firm control, actually, over it, over the Padres after they had to play the Dodgers again the week, this weekend, the team that might single-handedly end their playoff run despite them not really caring about the games too much, honestly. And we'll talk about the Dodgers in a second. But then you have the Marlins, who are 57-82. and 82. Very surprised to see that they aren't eliminated yet, but they are 31 games back. They are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Then you have the Nationals, who are 49-92, 40 games back. But pay attention to this eliminated postseason team, because even if they don't win the series, which they definitely shouldn't, avoiding a sweep at home against the Mets 
might let the Braves win the division in the final weekend of the season. We'll have to see what happens there, but that could be a swing series in terms of a divisional race there in the East. We'll look out for that, though, in October. Okay, let's move over to the NL Central. The Cardinals continue to have their demanding lead over the Brewers. They're eight games ahead. The Brewers at 75-66 and 66 are looking to the wild card now. Very happy for the Dodgers, who after beating up on the Brewers, well, they didn't really beat up on them. They pretty much split the season series. I think it was 4-3 to three in the Dodgers' favor. Uh, after all that, they are getting help from the Dodgers as they're beating the Padres, which will help the Brewers get closer to their wild card spot. Then you have the Cubs, who are 58 and 81. They're 24 games back. The Reds at 56 and 82 are 25 and a half games back. And the Pirates got eliminated at 51 and 88, 31 games back. Sad to see that such a nice stadium is being wasted on such a not nice team. <laughs> well, speaking of a nice stadium with a nice team, uh, let's move over to the NL West. Debatable weather. Well, well there are a lot of nice stadiums in the like NL West. The I don't know if the Dodgers Stadium is the uh, best like one, Dodger but. Stadium. But, but hey, Dodger Stadium South is nice too. The Padres Stadium is really nice. That's Petco true. Park is very nice. Uh, 96 and 43 for the Dodgers. 20 games back are the San Diego Padres. The Dodgers, if they had swept the Padres this weekend, could have clinched the division in San Diego. But they'll settle for swimming in the Arizona Diamondbacks pool again in center field because that's what they will be doing when either the Padres lose twice in the next three days or the Dodgers win twice or one and one, whatever it happens to be. The Dodgers became the first team to clinch a playoff spot this weekend with their win over the Padres on Sunday, actually, that ended that series. Uh, but at the same time, just two away in terms of magic number of clinching the division overall. I don't think that 20-game lead uh, will diminish, but, uh, you know, they still have to officially clinch. they got to put away in terms of math. But a uh, good stretch by the Dodgers beating the Padres there and getting really close to 100 wins already, um, despite it being mid-September in a lockout season that has an extra week of the season. Um, and they are ahead of the Astros by a considerable amount for that top seed. Hopefully the Dodgers can start coasting for them um, and see if they can set up their rotation better for the postseason and get Gonsolin back and get those guys back from injury that they need. And then you have the Padres, as I said. They'll be important in the wildcard chase. We'll talk about that in a second. Diamondbacks and the Giants have the same record. Uh, 66 and 73 for both of them. They're both 30 games back. And then the Rockies are 61 and 80. 36 games back. None of those teams playing a factor in the playoff race. Okay, well, let's move over to the National League wildcard race. Well, you want to talk about commanding leads. The Braves have a 10.5 game on the game lead on the Padres for the first wildcard spot. Obviously, this spot is going to be the Braves or the Mets, whoever doesn't win the division. Then you have the Phillies, who, after I had claimed that they were easily going to hold the spot, they didn't hold the spot easily, but they're back in it again. Uh, the second wildcard spot, they're one and a half games ahead of the Padres who are only two games ahead of the Brewers for the final wildcard spot. We will have to see who wins that race. That will be interesting for the last two weeks. You never know how many games the Brewers have against the Cardinals and the Padres have against the Dodgers. And do the Cardinals care? Do the Dodgers care? We don't know. We'll have to see how that goes when they play each other. Okay, well, that wraps up this week's look at Major League Baseball action. Uh, the NFL season kicked off this weekend, so let's take a look at Week 1 action in the 2022 NFL season. So let's start out with what you thought were the best games of week one. Well, you had the Giants beat the Titans 21-20 on the road. A good start to the season for Daniel Jones and the Giants. One of many surprises this weekend, uh, but they actually did something very, very gutsy despite not scoring a point in the first half. Their offense kicked it into high gear in the second half. They scored all 21 points in the second half, scoring 13 in the third quarter. And then, as they had the chance to tie the game and send it into overtime, the Giants said, 
why tie when you can just win the game? And they played to win the game, as Herm Edwards would tell them to do. And they went for two, down one, which is something that maybe most people don't advise and maybe I don't necessarily agree with. And maybe you only think it's a good idea when it works out. And maybe the fans would be calling for the coach to be fired if he didn't work that out. But anyway, they made it, so we don't have to talk about that. But the Giants stealing that win with going for it. Maybe they saw what happened to the Colts and the Texans, who tied 20-20 to in overtime. The Colts really took a while to kick their offense. Uh, they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter after going into halftime down 10-3 to and going into the fourth quarter down 20-3. to Not a great look for Matt Ryan's debut, uh, but at the same time, maybe the Texans are a little bit better than last year. I don't know. I mean... It's hard to tell, but probably not that much better. Uh, they The Colts shouldn't be losing this game, and uh, they're just lucky that the Titans also lost. But that division is starting to look very, very weak, considering that the Colts and the Texans are actually tied atop the division at 0-0-1, while the Titans and the Jaguars sit at 0-1 despite not really playing good teams. The Titans playing the Giants, and the Jaguars playing the Commanders. So actually, both of the teams... In the bottom of the AFC, what is that, the East at this point? No, that's not the East. That's the um, that's the South. Um, playing terrible teams in the NFC East, which is known for a long time as the worst division, and both of them losing to the worst teams in the NFC East, despite, well, maybe not Jacksonville, but with the Titans being argued as the best team in the AFC South. So that's a terrible look. But moving back uh, to teams that are similar to that, the Browns and the Panthers, both teams not really playing with great quarterback situations. The Browns, facing their former quarterback, Baker Mayfield, spoiled his debut in Carolina. Carolina showed a lot of fight, scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, but the Browns knocked a 50-plus yard field goal in at the end of the game to win 26-24 in Baker's debut in Carolina against his former team. Then you had the Steelers and the Bengals. They played a great game until overtime where both teams just forgot how to make a field goal, uh, although I guess they missed a field goal in, in regulation to uh, avoid overtime too. But at, you know, in the end... Doesn't matter. It wasn't a tie. Uh, Joe Burrow was awful in this game. I will point that out. I don't. I don't. I, I don't leave stuff out, right? I mean, there was a point in the day where Josh Allen was the only quarterback who played a good game in all of the NFL, and then stuff changed later. There were two guys who played pretty well, uh, but this game wasn't very clean from the quarterback side either. Joe Burrow had five turnovers and got sacked twelve times. So. Uh, they upgraded their offensive line, but their offensive line somehow got worse. Uh, but that's uh, well, that, that should be a week one problem. We'll hopefully have that ironed out if you're a Bengals fan. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, and then the Saints beat the Falcons on another last-minute field goal, if you can't tell what the theme of this one is. Um, they I, Actually, every single one of these games had a game-winning field goal, a game-winning two-point conversion, or no win at all. Uh, so really good games this week to start the season. Good opener. Uh, but the Falcons doing what the Falcons do best, choking games. Okay, well, let's move to uh, teams who didn't choke, the most impressive teams. Well, the Chargers game very close to choking, but you know what? I'm impressed by the Chargers' defense. Devontae Adams had 10 receptions and 140 yards for a touch, with a touchdown, too. So that Derek Carr-Devontae Adams' is looking uh, connection is looking just as good as it did at, what, Fresno State, where they played before? And at the same time, the Chargers were still able to come up with the win at home, 24-19, a good win for them. Then you have the Chiefs, who scored 44 against the Cardinals week one. Patrick Mahomes 
was the guy who I said was the second quarterback that looked good this week. Uh, they won 44 to 21 just off the back of really strong offense. And by the way, the Cardinals only had seven at halftime. They scored 14 points in the fourth quarter in garbage time when no one really cared about the game. Uh, Harrison Butker got knocked out of this game. So Justin Reed, the safety who replaced Tyran Matthew for the Chiefs, was kicking extra points for some of this game too. Fun fact. Then you have the Vikings. I would make the argument that Kirk Cousins might have looked like the third best quarterback this weekend, the way he played against Aaron Rodgers, completely outdoing him. Although Aaron Rodgers also did uh, throw a touchdown pass on the very first play of the game that was dropped. Uh, and it's looking like he's uh, visibly, physically, and mentally, and injury-wise, honestly, missing his top target, Devontae Adams. It's almost like if the Packers kept him around, they probably shouldn't have traded their best receiver, but that's a different discussion. They lost 23-7 for a reason. You needed real receivers on your team. That drop really changed the game because the Packers were going to actually tie. I think they were going to tie the game or even take the lead 7 to nothing. They were at least going to tie it 7-7 at that point. And that, that drop, you just can't have that happen. And then I already said it. The Bills came out and make that statement against the Rams. Josh Allen was the best quarterback in the league this week. I think you can argue that. Maybe Mahomes was better, maybe slightly. That will be the debate all year, right? Maybe the MVP conversation is just Mahomes and Allen. I mean, unless one of them has a really bad week later, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to come a no-touchdown interception, one interception week against the Vikings week one. Uh, but the Bills looking really good, especially on defense too, I should add that. Their defense looked very, very good this weekend against the Rams. Okay, any other quick takes from across other games uh, in NFL Week 1? Well, I will talk about some quarterback play. Justin Fields didn't look too bad considering how terrible the weather was in Chicago, where the Bears were playing, against good defense too in the 49ers. Uh, I also don't think the Commanders looked awful with Wentz at the helm. Didn't really invest too much time watching that game though, so I'm not going to lie. Don't really have much insight. Just looking at the box score, it seemed like generated a good amount of points. Uh, his stats weren't, you know his MVP year level stats, but they weren't terrible either. Uh, and then the Ravens and the Dolphins both looked good offensively and defensively, both teams that are looking to improve on maybe seasons that they should have done better in last year. Obviously the Ravens injury issues with Lamar was the uh, biggest concern this year, but he's obviously healthy so far, so they should be fine for now. And then you have the Dolphins who added Tyree Kill to the mix and that connection with him and Tua seems to be pretty good already. Uh, but those teams looking good. One team that didn't look good, the Cowboys. Uh, while the Buccaneers looked decent, um, you know, they started with five straight field goals and they missed one of them, so they were settling a little too much. But the Cowboys' offense is getting worse, despite just scoring three points, losing 19-3 to the Buccaneers. They're also going to be losing Dak Prescott to an injury that he might or might not need surgery on on his hand, so... Uh, we will be waiting how long uh, waiting how long that injury will keep him out for, but no matter what happens, that offense is already going downhill, and it's literally just week one, and the Cowboys are already looking like the normal Cowboys that pretty much always happen, where they somehow find a way to lose a division that's really, really easy to win. On the other hand, Buccaneers can get better on offense, look a lot cleaner, but they have Tom Brady. They should be fine. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at NFL Week 1 action. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 19th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look back at Major League Baseball, look back at the highlights from college football action, this time Week 3, and discuss NFL action in Week 2. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content. 
including his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be, up, be updated tomorrow, his annual spreadsheet where he predicts every college football game for the entire 2022 regular season. We can see how he's doing a few weeks in. Um, our college football week three poll that will be posted on Wednesday and that's going to have a lot of interesting moves. And Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number for T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.